This week's podcast brought to you by Khaki-Breasted Wren Peepers. Just the other day, our eight-year-old was sitting in the kitchen and she was creating and, and drawing and writing a book. And when she was finished, she said to me, Mom, look, I dedicated the book to you and Dad. And then she looked at me with these big eyes and said, Have any books ever been dedicated to me? And that's when you went into your office, you grabbed the 34-ton bat, you brought it back, opened up to the dedication page where the last thing it said was... For Rose. She was delighted. Sing says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. Road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. We were out on the bike path today, and uh, the birders are back. We haven't seen the seen the birders. In a while, are they birders or bird watchers? What do we call them? There were two women who were walking with cameras, binoculars, stopping, pointing. They were clearly there. Vests, to, ve- with, <laughs> vests. with many pockets. Vests of many pockets. Yeah, I think there was all kinds of maybe different um, lenses for their camera in the it different maybe a, a vest floppy, pockets. wide-brimmed hat. Yep. Anyway, we haven't seen the birders in a while, so I don't know if this is a particularly good time to um, to be watching the birds. But our neighbors and and, and who's watching? The bird watchers. We are watching the bird watchers. Yes. We are the watchers of the bird watchers. So it was good to spot them in their natural habitat today. But we um, we don't get to watch them for too long because we're generally jogging past them. But our neighbors across the street. I was uh, after our daughter, our youngest daughter, woke up this past weekend. I was putting the shade up in her room, and she was looking out the window, and she said, "They're out front today." And I said, "Huh?" And and, and she pointed, and our neighbors were sitting on their front on their front step. And so I texted our neighbor and said something about it. And she said, you know, normally we're in the back sitting on the deck, but we're, we can't be there right now. And this is why. And she sent me a picture of a robin in the nest and then sent me a picture of the three robin, the blue robin's eggs that were in the nest. So our neighbors who normally apparently have their morning coffee, uh, at least on the weekends in the back of their house on their deck, were just sitting out front so as to not disturb the robin who wanted to sit on the eggs and i thought that was very very sweet at what age and perhaps we should ask our resident birder if she's still listening at what age do you become interested in birds you know i don't know but when our our eight-year-old was very interested when i showed her the picture that was sent to us um well then i should ask from the neighbor do do you lose interest in birds and then (laughs) regain it yeah, I think I think it's like with a lot of hobbies, when you're in the throes of raising your children and constantly driving them here, there, and also in the throes of your own job, you don't have a lot of time for hobbies, birding or otherwise. And then I'm guessing in retirement, right? That must be when you really pick up the birding hobby. But yes, our resident birder, I believe she lives in Glastonbury. Hopefully she will um, let Enlighten us know us. when she at least picked up her uh her birding her passion for birding <laughs> i do enjoy my our passion for for bird watcher watching though and it was good to see again today the uh the khaki breasted wren peepers <laughs> <laughs> we can check those off our 
<laughs> our list. <laughs> Can you tell me what their what their Latin name is, please? Because don't like from the species, whatever. <laughs> we will. Uh, we'll have to Google that later. You're talking about bird watching and and gazing. I, I unintentionally gazed very closely into the car next to me this weekend. I went and parked the car. I went to an AAU, AAU tournament with our with one of our daughters. And there was a pickup truck that was partly in in a parking space, but it was the last parking space available. So I pulled the minivan in and there was almost no room to get out. I barely was able to open the driver's side door, kind of did some gymnastics and, you know, made myself as tall and skinny as possible to be able to get out of the door. Which is which is quite a bit. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Shut the driver's side door. And when I did, I was my face was right up against the glass of the passenger window um, of the car that I'd parked next to. And, and therefore, I'm looking into the seat of this pickup truck and I see that there's two boxes of ammunition. Um, each box was a hundred rounds of field and target multi-purpose load. Um, not being a gun person, I don't have any idea what multi-purpose load is, um, and, it's, if, it's, and if field and target is different from pres- presumably more versatile than single-purpose load. Apparently so. So, and, and then headphones that I'm guessing the person was wearing when they were shooting. But uh, but that was what I was greeted by as I squeeze out of our car, my face up against the glass of their car. And I'm thinking, well, if they, I, to the point, our car, cars were so close, I had to pull in the side mirror to be even on both sides of the car to be able to even pull into the spot. Anyway, I was thinking, well, I know what might happen if this guy's really upset with how close I parked next to him. I might find one of those a piece of that load in my tire or somewhere else. You may be one of the multiple purposes. <laughs> exactly. I uh, I might be one of the multiple purposes, but... Uh, Though more likely he was going to shoot a bird before the birders were able to peep it. Yeah, perhaps. By I way, don't know. Bird as a verb. is a b- b- Bird, 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 bird as a verb is an interesting concept. Right. While I was at the AAU tournament, I, I was watching a different game that was going on, and it was fascinating because there was a variety of parent you know parent type of cheering and um there was one parent who was like on the baseline during the game uh, coaching her kid there was another parent that was actually walking up and down the sideline behind the benches yelling out instructions to a kid and um and I was just kind of amazed it was my sort of bird watching it was parent watching at AAU basketball just watching the different types of parents as they're coaching their children in the games and um and thinking you know how do you have any idea what the coach is telling these kids to do I mean obviously they don't care that it's especially in AAU I think parents are more concerned with their child than what the what the coach is trying to tell them to do but not especially in AAU it's 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 in any in any team on any sport, I, I don't know though. You don't really maybe maybe because most gyms don't allow for it. You don't usually see a parent, and and because this one had a ton of space between the baseline and you know the wall, but this parent was actually going on the baseline to coach, and another parent walking back and forth behind the benches to to yell. It was uh, it was fascinating, and and if there's actually a I think it's a Twitter account, a Twitter handle AAU 
might be like AAU bingo or AAU parents or something like that. And there, if you Google online, you can print out a sheet that's called AAU bingo and you bring it with you, with you to the games. And like one of the boxes to check might be like somebody coaching while holding their infant. Well, I've done that before, so I, I can't really <laughs> criticize that in any way. But it's if anybody has somebody kids refereeing who, while talking on their phone. I've y- seen that. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, actually, if, if I can find it, I'll try to repost it on our um, on our Instagram. Uh, I'm sorry, on our, our Twitter handle, which is at Ball and Chain Pod. But it's uh, it's pretty funny for anybody who's ever had a child who's participated in AAU. But I've, I've seen many times parents yelling, "Hold for the last shot!" when the team has just come out of a timeout, and you don't know if the coach has just told them that or right. not. But presumably, they're going to do whatever the coach has just suggested they do rather than what you, the parent on the other side of the court, is, is telling them to do. Yes, yes. So um, anyway, that, we'll, we'll have to come up with a name for the, the sideline marching parent who is coaching just their one particular child. When I was a kid, as a Christmas present from an aunt, I think, in Cincinnati, I got Roger Tory Peterson's Field Guide to the North American Birds. You got that from who? I got that from a relative in Cincinnati, and who, I loved who, it. I was going to say, who probably knew you well enough to know that you would... Like a book like I had that. no interest in birds. I suddenly developed an interest in birds, thinking that I might see, you know, a yellow-bellied sapsucker out my bedroom window when the only thing there ever were were the occasional robin. But it was a fascinating, glossy-paged, full-color, famous, um, definitive atlas of North American birds. And I'm only bringing this up to suggest that perhaps you should publish uh, Rebecca Rose Lobo's Field Guide to the North American Basketball Parent. I think that's a that's a terrific idea with pictures and descriptions and um yeah that would be perfect. The other day actually as we're speaking about birds I just saw this magnificent plume uh, on a bird as it flew away and it was, you know, red. Anyway, I just said to our daughter, that's a, I think that was a woodpecker that just flew away. She said, "Yeah, it was." And um so while I don't consider myself in any way a, a birder, I do enjoy very much seeing the beautiful birds that are out this time of year, whether it's the blue jay or the cardinal or whatever. There's We do have a lot of different birds that are uh, fluttering around out here. And yet the only ones we can identify are those that have a Major League Baseball team named after them. <laughs> it's true. I, I recognize true. a blue jay because of the blue jay's hat right. logo. I recognize an oriole for the same reason. I recognize cardinals for the same reason. You, the one that you would get, even though they don't have a team named after them, are robins. What, do you, but, but, you yeah, recognize wood, woodpeckers true, because of Woody on, Woodpecker? Yeah, yes, and I, I recognize robins only because of the logo of Red Robin restaurants. <laughs> you know what? That's true. I don't know that you and I would recognize any bird that doesn't have a logo, a, or cartoon, a cartoon, or a team named after it. And, and I, I assume that woodpeckers go, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I think they do. Just for the last word, presumably on birds, uh, Surfing Bird by the Trash Men. That's who sang, bird, 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 bird is the word. The name of the song is Surfing Bird? By the Trash Men. The Trash Men. Was, were they a one-hit wonder? Did they have more hits than that, the Trash Men? You require me asking. to do a, a second Google search? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll look it up later. This would have been an excellent episode, the Bird episode, to have had Sue Bird on. Can we actually get a second all-bird episode out of the Balt and Chain podcast? I think we can get an all-human bird 
podcast. With Larry, does it at some point it becomes Bert and Shane at this point? Well, yeah. well, it would. Um, it would just be Sue. I think Sue deserves her own podcast. We'll we'll start working on that this summer, especially since I think last week it was she had successful. I don't know how successful it was, but she had surgery. I'm assuming it was successful on her knee. They always and, say uh, successful. Yeah, and, and and expect a full recovery one day you wonder if they'll say we expect a partial recovery like for my I, I would have appreciated the honesty when I had my first ACL um, tear and I had the surgery and then I retore it six months later I, it would have been nice if they just had told me we expect a you know a very poor recovery you're going to tear it again and then after the second one they could say we, we expect a and eh, not quite full recovery you should they should say after the first surgery uh, the surgery was unsuccessful uh, the first of her two surgeries was unsuccessful, and uh, and we expect um, a more full recovery the second time she tears it. Yeah, that, that would have been nice. The liberty, the liberty set in the statement. Right. <laughs> Appreciate the honesty and the accuracy. Now for something completely different. Our eight-year-old was lamenting a couple of weeks ago that because she has had no sick days this year, she hasn't been able to see the price is right, which I think you're only allowed to watch on a sick day as a school kid. And I said, let me record tomorrow's episode of The Price is Right. So I set that up on the DVR. We recorded it in last night. We got around to watching it and not having, I hadn't seen it in years. I'm not sure she has seen it in years, even though she's only eight. And when the host came out on stage, she said, that man looks like Mom's basketball coach. She was referring to Drew Carey and Gino Auriemma. Well, what's funny is she said the exact same thing maybe two years ago. I distinctly remember we were driving home. We were on the Mass Pike. We pulled off. We were at a Burger King. The television was on. The Price is Right was on. And Drew Carey came on the screen, and she said, and at the time she was six years old, she said, Mom, that looks like your basketball coach. And I, and the reason I remember it so vividly is because I took a picture of it, and and in the certain shot, it it, it did look very much like Coach Rayama. And I, and I do also like the fact that she calls him my basketball coach, because I've played for plenty of basketball coaches. She just hasn't met any of the other ones, but um, that she still just thinks of that particular Hall of Fame um, legend as my basketball well, coach. Well, at first, I assumed she was referring to Van Chancellor. <laughs> because she's so familiar yes. with Van yes. Chancellor, who yeah. I played for for one season in the, with the Houston Cubs. But, but even more interesting to me is that every single game they played on The Price is Right, they gave away a car, or a car was the big prize. It, for every it appeared to be a, a, an extended car commercial for a sort of mid-sized, compact cars. Did anyone win a car? Well, one guy won two cars. One what? guy won two, two like compact cars, and the kids were then discussing, well, he probably already has a car. I said, well, living in Los Angeles, chances are he, ha- he does have a car, and then I explained how you have to pay taxes on these cars, and he'll probably end up having to sell them, and, and that perhaps winning the two cars was more of a burden than a, than a windfall, which no eight-year-old wants to hear when when she's watching a game show, obviously, because as a kid, you know, I mean, what a what an unbelievable providential uh, lottery win it was just to have your name called. Come on down. You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. And then you, in last night, one of the guys, the first guy called down, he was, he was like those guys in the NBA 
draft or WNBA draft room who are marooned in the green room as right. name after name after name is called to the stage. He kept getting 1501 to where he'd guess $1,500 and, and then this, as the second to last person or the next person would say 1501, thus completely locking him out. Right. Should should he not be exactly on the money? So uh, I felt badly for that guy. And But the reason I bring all of this up, the price is right, is because both our 8-year-old and our 10-year-old shrieked with spontaneous joy when one of the items that they had to guess the price of was a box of frozen White Castles. <laughs> I cannot tell you. Only an hour earlier, the 8-year-old had asked if we could have White Castles for dinner, and I said we didn't have any in the freezer. And so when this came on, they shrieked with delight, and, and I was able to say, before anybody guessed the price, I was able to say four ninety nine. And when they flipped the little the little flap and it said four ninety nine, I was for about thirty seconds revered as a as a living God. That's um in my own living room. That's pretty amazing because I had I was thinking in my brain, oh it's probably about two seventy nine. How many how many white castles Six. come in a box? Okay. Well that that is funny that you uh, you're talking about the prices right. A couple weeks ago, I was talking to someone, Matt, who is not Matt in West Hartford. Although when I was having this conversation with Matt, we were in West Hartford. Anyway, he told me about a trip he took. I think maybe after right after college, and he was out in L.A. and he was in the audience for a price for the Price is Right. And what he did, um, just because he just wanted to be on TV, is at some point when they called somebody's name. He stood up, and he's a really big guy. He stood up. The camera immediately went to him. He sat back down, and then the camera found the the actual contestant. But anyway, for that couple of seconds, he was on television for um, during the Price is Right. That's so a it was, brilliant. So it was all worth it for him. A brilliant Price is Right flex. Yes, as the Denny uh, and the kids would say. But um, they they obviously inject the people in the studio audience with some kind of uh, some kind of stimulant before they start taping the prices right. They're obviously counseled to, you know, erupt with over-the-top uh, ecstasy when you are when your name is called or when you see that you might win a Hyundai Santa Fe or something, and, and the people deliver. And I don't know what the process is for selecting the people in the audience, but clearly it isn't, it isn't a, a random lottery. I mean, you don't have to inject anything. You've been at enough sporting events and you've seen them bring out the cheerleaders with the t-shirts or the t-shirt cannons that no, the arena does not get louder at any point during the most exciting basketball game than during a timeout when they're throwing free couple dollar t-shirts into the crowd. So these people know that they have a chance to not win a t-shirt, but a car or something else. That's just the natural reaction to the possibility of getting something thrown at you for free. I suppose that's true, but I, I, maybe it's just because I've been dead inside for so long that I cannot put myself in the shoes of those people who, who are going bouncing off the wall at the possibility of winning a year's supply of rice aroni. Now, I, I know they don't give away rice aroni anymore on game shows. I wish they did. But what, I mean, I, I didn't see the show you did. What would you say was the, the age of most of these people? I'm guessing it's, what, people in their their early 20s to, no, to no, late it, 20s? I would say it went from early 20s to to uh, mid to mid to late 90s. It was, 
it was a it was quite the gamut. It was certainly twenties uh, to sixty. I mean, think about it too. The people who are in the studio audience have probably been waiting outside. Actually, our, the friend that I was talking to that got in there, that's what it was. You had you get in line early in the CBS morning. CBS Television City. Yeah, you wait. You waited for quite a few hours before you were selected and and got to go inside. So these are people who really really want to be there. They're selected for it, and now they have a chance. To, uh, to be a contestant. I mean, that's a pretty um, pretty brilliant idea by whoever came up with The Price is Right is that you pick one of the people out of the studio audience. That's a way to make sure that everyone there is energized. Every person who goes there has an opportunity, theoretically, to win a car. I was um, a guest a thousand years ago on a late night TV show, Tom Snyder's uh, TV show at CBS Television City. And... Uh, to walk into the hallowed uh, halls of CBS Television City, all I could think of was this is where The Price is Right and The Carol Burnett Show came from. And I, and I was hoping to find an animated cartoon Carol Burnett mopping the studio. Alas, I was disappointed. But um, from Television City in Hollywood, do you remember that as a kid? Yeah, of course. From t- Drumroll, from Television City in Hollywood. And, and, and you would sit there imagining what television sit I mean could you think of a greater uh, dream as a kid than than to be in television city right right I wish I remembered and or had written down which studios I've been on at various times we've talked about how I was filmed a scene for the movie Jerry Maguire was cut from that I think maybe that was Sony Pictures Studio. I don't remember. Um, I was on an episode of Martin, an episode of Sister Sister. I don't remember which studios we were at. Um, well, the, I mean, the, like the, I wish I'd written right. that stuff down. Because and then, it's it's not necessarily the the you know the show itself. It's it's the, the ghosts exactly. Yes. So when I I did a project at Paramount for maybe four visit required like four visits to the Paramount lot. And the first time there, you're walking by a soundstage, and they say, you know, that's where. Uh, that's where they did Happy Days, and right. and you you do a spit take right, with your with your uh, bottled water. That's the other one. When I was out out in L.A. Um, a couple times to be on Jeopardy, same thing. And and as you're you know like on a golf cart as they're driving you from the security gate to the studio that you're going to, and yeah, people saying this is where this was filmed and this is where this was filmed. And I just wish I had written it down so that I now remembered it. Speaking of writing things down, um, there was a there was an item in the Guardian. A couple of weeks ago, and I, I wish I could remember it exactly, but um, but it was, there was a, it was a piece by Elton John to promote the new movie of his life, Rocket Man, and he did write things down, and he didn't kind of fully appreciate. He was on such a fast bullet train uh, in the early late sixties and early seventies that, as you would later say of of. Um, you know, the, the late 90s, you wish you had written this stuff down because it was such a blur that it's hard to remember. He was saying the same thing with the addition of cocaine, uh, in his case, um, about the, 70, the 70s. And But he did write stuff down, and he cited one of his diary entries, which was, uh, woke up, watched Grandstand, a TV show in the UK, wrote Candle in the Wind, went to London and bought a Rolls Royce, Ringo Starr came for dinner. That was a day. That was a day. <laughs> and I love that. Wrote, watched Grandstand and wrote Candle in the Wind. Both lasted, you know, both, both like 20 minutes of his diary. Candle in the Wind, which probably has made him, you know, $100 million at this point. 
And um, so, yeah, I, I wish you, I, I both wish you had written Candle in the Wind, bought a Rolls Royce, and and kept a diary. Well, shall we, uh, shall we uh, visit the curiosity shop? I think we shall. When this boy meets way. This week, Curiosity Shop, Denny Gallagher, our producer uh, with one N, is is writing to us from, he says, greetings from Newport, Rhode Island. Did, did you give Denny the... I didn't give him permission to go on vacation. Uh, travel voucher? No. I hope he's having a good time. I do. And he actually is soliciting suggestions for food to try in Newport, Boston, or Portland, Portland, Maine. And if you have any suggestions for Denny, you can send him a tweet. His Twitter handle is at Denny, D-E-N-Y underscore Gallagher, G-A-L-L-A-G-H-E-R, at Denny underscore Gallagher. So Denny's on a New England road trip to Newport, Boston, and Portland. Um, but he has questions, always questions. So curious, young Denny. And Let's hear his questions. Uh, well, he asks, uh, a big congratulations to Liverpool on winning the, the UEFA Champions League. Denny was surprised how many Liverpool fans there are in New York City. I know there were a lot of fans for each of the top Premier League teams in New York, but I didn't realize the overwhelming support the Reds have in the five boroughs. Liverpool, of course, has a huge fan base worldwide. Steve, what do you think has been a bigger catalyst of the growth for the game in this country, an excuse for morning drinking or people falling in love with these clubs or a little of both? Well, I would add a third factor. Now, people love to drink in the morning, and you can do that when the Premier League comes on at 7.30 a.m., Eastern Time, twelve thirty in in England, uh, and I've I've watched Premier League games on the West Coast where people are drinking at four thirty in the morning. As Do the places open uh, extra yes. early yeah, out the, on the West uh, Coast for yeah, soccer? Yes, yes, um, and uh, and eating uh, beans and toast off of paper plates. So, uh, but there was a third factor. So that is a big factor. But there is a third factor, and that is uh, the Champions League games air in the U.S. Uh, at 3.30 on Wednesday afternoons, and um, that's a, that's a built-in um, doctor's note excuse to stop working and take the rest of the day off. You're watching soccer from 3.30 to 5 on so, a weekday, and that's a beautiful thing. So the games are on Saturdays, or the weekends, very early, but also on Wednesday afternoons. Well, the Champions League games are on, the, the, the domestic leagues are on Saturday mornings, and uh, the Premier League is on Saturday mornings. There's games on Sunday. There's also Monday night football, as there is here. But, um, but and then the Champions League games are in the middle of the week. So, secondly, Denny says, um, Apple announced this week that it's doing away with iTunes in favor of three different applications, Apple TV, Apple Podcasts, and Apple Movies, which brings me to my question, would you guys rather own a copy of your music, own your own music, or pay a monthly rate to stream whatever you want. I mean, we can answer this question because we've made that choice. I don't know the last time I purchased music. It's been a really, really long time. So I would much rather stream. Although I have to say this, there's been a couple occasions. You you have to uh, emphasize that this is a conversation about music. When you would say, when you say, I would much rather stream. I'm not even right. You know, <laughs> yes, a this is a conversation that ten years about ago music. would have made no sense to anybody. Although. I have to say, on occasion, and this usually happens if, I, if I'm if i watching TV and, and there, there's, as part of the TV show, a song I really like and I find it, I, I might, you know, spend the 99 cents to purchase the song. But for the most part, um, you know, I, other than that, I can't even remember the last time I purchased music. Well, the new music that you have purchased and the, the only new music that I purchase is old music, which is uh, vinyl. Right, which is uh, on a record, yeah. Sometimes almost always used records at... Uh, low prices but sometimes every once in a while 
a new reissued vinyl of an old record. Right. We occasionally still will purchase a DVD, but if we do, it's always um, a kid show, and it's to watch in the minivan. When is the last time you purchased a DVD? We, we've probably purchased a DVD in the last year. It's we, we haven't really purchased music other than vinyl. We might purchase a DVD, but again, it would just be for a long car trip that we'd play. The one thing that we still purchase a lot of instead of downloading to a device, are books. Yeah, well, I mean, that is a device, and it's a device that we try to get the kids to spend time on rather than... And that's the one, like, if I'm going, if there's something I like that I read in a book, I might underline it, dog ear the page or whatever. It's something you go back to later on. But if I downloaded a book onto my device, I wouldn't do it that way. So books are out of... Music, movies, and reading, books are the one thing we we definitely purchase more than any other. Coincidentally or not, um, June, the month we're in now, 12 years ago, June of 2007, I just looked this up recently, is when the iPhone came out and I think systematically shut down the brains of of most of our children, of all of our children, and most children and adults adults. um, for the next 12 years. And our children, born in 2004, 6, 8, and 10, will have grown up, all of them, with uh, everybody around them, and eventually themselves included, staring at, at the screen in their hands. There was a time this past week where we were both staring at my phone when I accidentally retweeted something. I had meant to retweet something with comment, and my comment was going to be against what I was tweeting. Well, for the people who are sane and aren't on Twitter, you can... You can retweet something, just post something that somebody has po- repost something. Repost something somebody posted. Something or you posted. can retweet with comment, and then it'll be a little screenshot of that person's thing. But but first right. comes your comment about it, and denouncing it or whatever. Generally, if you retweet something, it's because you like it, you believe in the message or whatever. Anyway, or I, it's a funny picture of a cat, you know, right? Anything like that. Anyway, I accidentally re- retweeted something that was offensive, <laughs> and you and I were at our son's soccer game, and it took us five minutes to figure out how to take that back how to you know i don't even know what know what the wording would be but to unretweet that and um anyway it was it was a horrible five minutes for me because that whole time all i'm thinking is if anybody is on twitter right now who follows me they think i am in agreement with what i just retweeted and it was a horrible thing to retweet and i was terrified for those five minutes until we somehow used our, out our brains and figured out how to uh, how to get rid of it. Oh, but oh my gosh, were we ever staring at the screen for those five minutes? Well, shall we get to viewer mail? Yes, please. Let's get okay. to viewer mail. Big bad book, throw our lure, reel us in with your viewer mail. Restiva writes Tanya from Troy. My husband, you know, Matt, a.k.a. the guy who listens to Rebecca's criticisms of Steve and tries not to duplicate those errors, like the vacation lunchbox fiasco from last year. That would be, I think, Matt from West Hartford. No, this is Tanya from Troy. Oh, so it's not Matt from West Hartford. Okay. Unless they're living uh, in separate states, but um, and they're not. Because we heard from Matt from West Hartford's better half from West Hartford, I think, last week. Yes. May I finish as, as... yeah, that's as, a lot uh, of mats, but yeah, go ahead. As Ross Perot, as played by Dana Carvey, would say, can I finish? He brought home a used copy of The Daring Book for Girls. This version was published in 2007, though it looks like an old-timey book. While riding to soccer tonight, my daughter gasped from the back seat. Rebecca Lobo, 
She knew exactly who you are and dove into reading the section. It was quite funny listening to her pronounce the other legends' names that appeared, such as Lisa Leslie and Cynthia Cooper. I'm sure you are. I'm sure you have this book or at least have heard of it, but if not, you are discussed on page two in conjunction with Title Nine. Are you aware of the Daring Book for Girls? I'm not at all. Um, Tanya adds that um, she can never tell if her 10-year-old daughter is actually listening to the podcast when Tanya is presumably in the car, but today learned that uh, she may act like she doesn't, but she's paying more attention than she shows. Very sweet. I'm going to have to take a look at that book, perhaps so, from the library. Sure, the daughter will be fascinated by our discussion of, uh, of birds today. Yes. <laughs> this comes from Mary in Dearborn, Michigan. She's a high school basketball coach in Dearborn and a huge women's college basketball fan starting in the Rebecca Lobo Yukon era. And she has uh, a story similar to ours about eating during uh, childbirth. <laughs> okay. Spousal eating, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing yes. it's not hers. Go ahead. A few years back, the doctor had scheduled to induce me when having our third child. We arrived to the hospital early and clearly too early for my husband to have eaten before we went. As they prepped me for delivery, he kept talking about being hungry and even asked the nurse as she was putting my IV in if there was a concession stand. We are both coaches as he is the offensive coordinator for the football team at the same high school, so you can imagine our kids' family spend a great deal of time at athletic events. Still, the nurse just stared at him blankly across the bed and I was mortified and quickly interjected, you mean a vending machine. <laughs> we all laughed as he realized his mistake. Well, his hunger never went away, apparently, because once I was all gone, once I once... I was all prepped, epidural in, and the waiting game began. He excused himself to head to the vending machine for a snack. He was gone quite a long time, during which time the intensity of labor had fully kicked in, and we realized my epidural did not work. So I was in quite a great deal of pain. When he returned, he walked in the room and said, Did you get my text? Um, no. Sorry, honey. I'm a little busy and not near my phone. As he approached my bedside, he explained that there was a place down in the lobby that sold chicken shawarmas. And it looked so good, he just had to have one. As he spoke, I could barely hear what he was saying because all I could smell was the intense garlic coming from his breath. Needless to say, due to the circumstances, I wasn't happy and didn't handle the smell well. He quickly went to find some mints slash gum, anything to help fix the situation, so I didn't kick him out of the room permanently. It all ended well, and our healthy baby boy was born about 20 minutes later. He will never live that down, of course, but now we often laugh about it, and the story is shared regularly among family and friends. That's from Mary in Dearborn. There have been, been plenty of instances where I have been very, very hungry, but I've also been aware that it's not the right time to talk about being hungry and to just stay hungry until it was an appropriate time to be able to eat. What is it with you and men and delivery rooms? I mean, just suck it up and be hungry for a while <laughs> until it's the appropriate time to eat. That's one thing. If you had... That, that time when you had the Doritos or whatever, if you had come back reeking of garlic, I may have had to send you out of the room because that would have put me over the top too as I was in labor. I like that you said, what is it with you and men? Two well, separate categories? No, just because it's too broad to say you men. Okay. Um, but no, you specifically men? and okay. men in okay. general, yeah. Uh, hello, from hello from Montana, not Montreal, forgive me, writes Denise in Montana. I listened to the podcast as I travel to watch my grandkids in their sporting and music events, a six-hour drive one way. I really enjoy your philosophy about being a graceful winner and a gracious loser. I saw this article on Facebook and wanted to share it. She encloses a link to a blog that I read, uh, a mom writing about her son kind of losing it after a, uh, after a baseball game, a 12-year-old. 
being self-critical in tears and uh, saying I'm no good and then criticizing his teammates and the umpire. And then she and the son um, kind of made a concentrated effort in all the professional sports they watch and TV, other games that they go to in their town to watch the losers and how they react and pick an MVL, the most valuable loser after each game. And the kid came from one of these, they were attending a game and said, look at number 27. He, uh, he congratulated the other team. He was smiling at the concession stand afterwards. And, uh, it was nice. And it's a, it's a good way uh, to, uh, I like that. Yeah. 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 Certainly we could lose, use that PS. You already have a resident educator. I teach math and business at a high school in Montana, but do you have a resident Montanan? We do now, Denise, you are it. Have you ever visited our big sky country, the last best place? I think your family would love it. We haven't visited with the kids, but I visited. Have you been to Montana? Yes, I've been to Bozeman, Montana. Well, that counts. Yes. Jim, our Canadian resident, resident Canadian, um, as requested in this week's reader mail, here are some Canadian author suggestions. Remember, we had that uh, bookstore bingo, I believe, from Iowa, and they needed to fill in and read a Canadian author this summer. He suggests The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. I actually have that, but have not read it. Somebody left it at our house, and... Uh, and I'm going to read it. Uh, a Canadian version sports book slash coming of age story set in the 1970s, a bit like Stingray Afternoons, is Keon and Me by Dave Bedini. I know Dave Bedini. I, I subscribe to Dave Bedini's uh, print newspaper, The West End Phoenix, uh, published in Toronto. So, Sounds uh, like you better read his, uh, his book as well. I, I shall. And um, also on the subject of books, Rebecca from Washington writes, I continue to enjoy the podcast and have been inspired by Steve's habit of picking up a book rather than a phone slash social media while waiting in various places. For me, that includes a 30-minute round-trip bus commute. Without realizing it, I finished seven books this year, photo attached for proof. My current selection is All Things Bright and Beautiful, the second in James Harriet's four-part autobiographical series, but I will have to add Say Nothing to the queue. About a year ago, I traveled to Derry slash Londonderry and learned a great deal about the troubles in Northern Ireland and continuing peace process. It became one of my favorite towns. The people I met were wonderful and welcoming, and the murals were very compelling. And she encloses a snapshot of the of the seven books she's read. And I, I'm having trouble. It, it's so small. I, I could see better if this were still on my laptop, but I printed this out. So it's a postage stamp. There's a ball and chain magnet in front. And one of the books is Gino. One of the books is uh, Raise the Roof, the Pat Summit book. And there's a um, uh, the guy Michael Pollan who writes about food and what was his book that I, I read and enjoyed so much? Well, anyway, one of his books is in there. And uh, the carnivore's dilemma was that the one? I love these, uh, as they call them on social media, shelfies, where you send a picture of your bookshelf. Speaking of the printed word, Jerry with a G and two R's writes: I just saw this news story about a device that lets you communicate with other drivers. I guess it's not as far fetched as we thought. And he encloses a link to a new device. We've talked about the little LED screen that you can put in your car window and program it to, to scroll a short message like uh, have a nice day or more likely um, back off pal. Well, this is a device that hooks up to your phone and, and you can, uh, with the tap of your phone, you can, you can scroll um, a bunch of different messages. The ones that they used in this news segment are go around me or thank you for letting me pass or please let me merge. But I, I have a feeling that uh, obscenities would more, more likely win the day when you're programming the, uh, the car LED sign. It is not the carnivore's dilemma. It is the omnivore's dilemma. And that is not the book by Michael Pollan that I read. The one that I liked so much that I read by Michael Pollan was called In Defense of Food. I'm not sure that the, that's the one that Rebecca has read, but, uh, oh, the, uh, this other Rebecca has read, but, but it may be. Uh, you know, since we're talking about books, and since the summer is pretty much here, we should have a ball and chain 
like summer book challenge where people like Rebecca or you or me, I'll start doing this as well, have a book always with them in the car, wherever, and instead of picking up at doctor's office, wherever they're going to be, instead of picking up their phone and reading it, they or, read their or, book. Or listen to a, listening to a podcast. Well, that usually happens in the car. So at least if they're, you don't want somebody reading in the car. We could have a challenge, and then you and I could, um, when August comes, or uh, we, we could send out. We the, could send the, out. We could I, send the same prize we sent for the bracket challenge, which was nothing. You haven't sent those out yet. Well, one guy wanted, wanted a, a signed book. Wanted a signed book. But I think that should be the prize at the end of the Ball and Chain Summer Book Reading Challenge. We send a signed copy of Knights in White Castle. What do you think? I'm going to post it out there on uh, on Twitter and see if um, people would be interested. Well, uh, somebody in here asked. Um, this is from uh, where is it? Uh, Deb asks. P.S. Have you sent my slag yet? Of course, uh, the slag being the swag, the um, and and anybody who's requested swag in the last month or so, I haven't sent out the latest batch because it requires a big schlep to the post office. But now I'm concerned packaging that, we, that stuff up. The people who won the bracket challenge, they didn't get. What, what are you looking yet? at me for? They didn't well, get. What was I supposed to send well, out? Because I can't look at Denny, but somebody needs. We, we, we will remedy okay, okay, that. Do you go, still go have the? Post- do you still have the course, winners' names set aside and their do. addresses? All right. All right, I will make sure that that gets taken care of in uh, in the near future. Well, I mean, it's 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 been too it's long. It's no longer the near future. It's been too it's, long. It's we will get past. those people their their prizes, and we are going to start this ball and chain summer book club challenge. Okay, um, Rebecca and Steve, this is an Uber confession, um, and it's quite a doozy. Shall we get into it? Yes, please. This is being passed along from Gail. It's a it's an Uber uh, ride that her husband Jason had last week, and this is from Jason via Gail. I got on my Uber to catch a late night flight. I apologized to the Uber driver for probably making her drive out of her way. Uber mom replied that this will be her last ride for the evening and that I wasn't taking her out of her way because, quote, I live in my car. I have an air mattress and everything. She then pulled out the air mattress from under her front seat. Uber mom then proceeded to tell me that, quote, she has slept in her car for two years to save money to buy her son a car and give him money for clothes when he gets out of prison. I told her about our friend who runs a nonprofit for people who are getting out of jail and reintegrating into society. I offered to connect them. She replied, no, he's not going to want to get involved in any of this because he has a strategy for how to get money once he's out. He was in prison for robbing grocery stores with a BB gun. Then he got out and then robbed grocery stores without a BB gun and went back to jail. His plan, according to his mom, is, quote, to find several large, ugly women because he's a good looking dude and then convince them to take out loans for him. I shouldn't be laughing. <laughs> Once he gets enough money this way, he will buy a semi-truck and hire a guy to drive it for him. He will then make all the money. She added, if he does, well, I've lost you for the rest of the show, I know. There's <laughs> just so much that's sad and heartbreaking that's, that's... and at the same time hilarious about this. Okay. <laughs> oh, jeez. She added, if he does well, he may pay the women back, but he's not too worried about it because, quote, he will tell the women to charge their bank account and inform- change their bank account information so they won't lose any more money. I said that I didn't think this was a good plan. <laughs> well, who's, who's, uh, who's telling this story? Jason. All right, Jason, well done. <laughs> the, mo- the Uber uh, mom said she told her son this, quote, about how you can't take advantage of women. I responded, you do realize that you're living in your car to buy him a car and a cell phone. Isn't he taking advantage of you? After telling me this story, my Jason side, I think she only gave me four stars. 
gosh. Yeah, I um, that makes me think of a time where I, I heard um, someone uh, talking about dating and um, and they were saying, yeah, you got to find yourself one of those low self-esteem women. If you find yourself one of those low self-esteem women, they'll treat you great. Even if you don't treat them well, they'll always come back to you. It doesn't matter what they look like. You just want one of those low self-esteem women. And um, this was 25 years ago that I heard someone say that. And I just remember shaking my head thinking oh the world in which we live and you found the equivalent in a man <laughs> no that is certainly not true well this is not a steam but this is steam related sean uh writes that uh, hope you're both doing well still working my way back through uh, the podcast and heard the loose meat sandwich show here in maryland the sloppy joe is called a steamer <laughs> come on no it's not it seems to be served at almost any family event, usually with baked beans. The sauce seems a little thinner than a manwich, and after it has been served slash leftovers, it gets this thick orange grease paste covering that reminds me of the Albert Brooks Debbie Reynolds line in the classic Mother on Sherbet, the protective ice. It's kind of gross. A steamer. Would you would you enjoy ingesting something called a steamer? Well, I actually do. When you get clams. Oh, steamers. Yeah, sure. steamers. Yeah. I've never thought about it in that regard, probably because of the way a clam looks versus how a loose meat sandwich looks. I would not enjoy a loose meat slash sloppy joe sandwich if would it was billed as the steamer. <laughs> nor a loose meat manwich, I'm guessing. No, nor a loose meat manwich. No, thank you. <laughs> well, more to the point, Sean writes, uh, this question is for Steve. Being a boxing fan slash blogger, how big in the local communities were Dwayne Bobbick and Scott Ledoux? He's referring to Minnesota. When I grew up in Minnesota, both of them were uh, heavyweight boxers from Minnesota who who uh, made the uh, made the world stage. Um, Ledoux challenged Larry Holmes for the world title in Bloomington in an era where boxing was a far bigger deal than currently. So I was wondering, Larry, Scott Ledoux fought for the heavyweight champion of the world at Met Center in Bloomington against Larry Holmes in 1980, I'm thinking. He fought Ken Norton. Uh, he was knocked out by Ken Norton in like 58 seconds in, in um, the late 70s. And uh, and so it was a very big deal. And Scott Ledoux actually fought an exhibition against Muhammad Ali in Chicago in the 70s when Muhammad Ali was Muhammad Ali. And, uh, and Ali, uh, the story goes, promised him a title fight if he would fight this exhibition for some charity, five rounds. And uh, Scott Ledoux actually had a relatively easy time with Ali and before this fight could be arranged, um, Ali then lost to Leon Spinks, lost the heavyweight title, the first time he lost in his title in the ring. So anyway, Scott Ledoux was a big deal. Uh, Sean writes, I'll have a question down the road on the AWA, pro wrestling, uh, the greater pro wrestling league prior to WWE that, was, uh, that flourished in, in the Twin Cities uh, down the road. So I look forward to that question, Sean. Uh, finally, let's check in with uh, Dr. Gary Siegel, shall we? Hello, Dr. Gary Siegel. I look forward to his reviews of our uh, of our podcasts, and um, and here here he goes. Dear Rebecca and Steve, have aliens absconded with Steve and replaced him with a duplicate that cleans out cars? <laughs> it's the only logical conclusion that I could reach given the history as recorded by the prior podcast regarding Steve's propensity to leave car cleaning and maintenance as a lesser priority. That said, I'm very proud that Steve cleaned his car, and while this may be a bit of a mixed message, I do agree with Rebecca that car cleaning generally is the husband's job. Thank you, Dr. Siegel. However, Ooh. in suburban metro Atlanta, when I take our mommy truck, too big to hand wash as I do with my car, to the car wash, there are many women in their cars who are going through the car wash tunnel and then vacuuming, wiping down, and cleaning out the french fries from their mommy truck slash minivans. You do that. 
I do. I can only assume that those women's husbands are somewhat busy at work hanging around the water cooler like Dagwood and Dilbert, talking sports, whereas Steve is at home, working much harder than the other husbands, toiling away at his laptop while fending off starving children. Thus, those women are left to look after their cars, whereas Steve is much too busy to have a chance to do so. I think he's nailed it exactly. <laughs> he put a good effort for it. Once at least. again, Dr. Gary Siegel has crystallized the issue at hand perfectly. There we go. That's why he's our resident OBGYN. I could not help, doc, writes Dr. Siegel, uh, but enjoy the iron slash Acme Anvil analogy as it brought back fond memories of Wiley e. Coyote and the Roadrunner. Somewhat related is the fact that one of my college fraternity brothers claims that his parents would not let his brother and him watch the Three Stooges for fear that one of them would use a hammer to make a loud clang sound while hitting the other one over the head. And there's no doubt that that would happen and probably did happen with many kids. Please be sure to give XM34 a listen. I do, Dr. Siegel. That's, what, uh, uh, that's sort of 90s grunge. Okay. Especially in the morning, Madison the DJ is a riot and the music is 90s and grunge, as he says, and overlaps with XM17, which you're listening to now, I believe, which is uh, pop rocks. Yep. Uh, lastly, with respect to the book club, I am in the middle of Say Nothing as well, the book that I just finished, mm-hmm. and have found it to be a gripping tale, which is helping me to better understand the history of the Troubles in Northern Ireland. All the best from a very hot Atlanta, even in May, Gary with two R's. Well, on that note, from Gary with two R's to Harold with one R and those and no O's and Tom with one O and, and uh, Dick with one I <laughs> yes one eyed Dick it's Tom time and Harry it's time to, to say to play this out <laughs> Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in the cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.